Welcome to the Runner's World Show, where each week we entertain you, inspire you, and inform you about all things running. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief of Runner's World. This week on the show, producer Brian Dalek heads to Central Park in New York City to see just what brings runners, and really athletes of all kinds, out on a frigid day to gut out a high-intensity workout called Iron Strength. And then in the kick, a runner turns in some stunningly fast times as he does seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Wow. But first, our shoes and gear editor, Jeff Dengate, talks with the creator of Iron Strength, Dr. Jordan Metzl. Dr. Metzl is a sports medicine physician who is all about going to the source of an athlete's injuries rather than treating the symptoms. And what causes most injuries? It's usually muscle weaknesses and imbalances. So he's become an evangelist of sorts for prescribing exercise as medicine. And so then I started writing this on, I literally would take a prescription pad and start writing a prescription of how to do squats or lunges and give me five sets of 15. I'd have people demo them in my office to make sure and they would go home and do plyometric jump squats and and they would leave my office with a prescription of doing that. And those patients started to get better. It's a great, fascinating conversation. So stick around and thanks for joining us. Jordan Metzl, in addition to being a doctor, has finished 34 marathons and 14 Ironman triathlons. He's also the creator of the Iron Strength Workout DVD series. He's also a member of our advisory board here at Runner's World and an author of four books, the most recent being Dr. Jordan Metzl's Workout Prescription, which was published in December by Rodale, the parent company of Runner's World. The book is all about how to use short, high-intensity workouts to maximize your fitness. Perhaps Dr. Metzl's most famous high-intensity session is his Iron Strength Workout. Iron Strength is a series of moves designed to enhance performance among athletes of all types and all ages. I've done it myself, and trust me, this stuff works. Shoes and Gear editor Jeff Dengate is a former patient of Dr. Metzl's. Jeff initially went to see him for a hip injury and has since become a big believer in Dr. Metzl's philosophy of preventing injury by building total body strength. Jeff recently sat down with Dr. Metzl in his Manhattan office to talk about that philosophy, but also to talk about how Dr. Metzl got his start as an athlete and as a doctor, and about how running keeps him mentally fit to address his patients' physical needs. And also, we get Dr. Metzl's top three strength-building moves for runners. Dr. Metzl, it's so great to be in your office again. It's been five years since I was here as a patient of yours, and it's actually fun to come in in a different manner this time and, and chat with you about all the other things you have going on. Uh, I first want to start with the book we have sitting in front of us, um, The Workout Prescription. This is your fourth book with Rodale, I believe. Yeah, it's a, such an honor uh, for me because every day in my day job, I do what you came here to see me for, Jeff, which is take people's aches and pains and uh, and figure out what they are, why they're happening, and how I can fix them. Uh, the fact that you haven't been here in five years is good news for me in the sense it means that uh, you've either been seeing somebody else or you're better. And from that smile on your face, I assume you're better. So. My day job is a lot about fixing, diagnosing, preventing, um, but the nice thing is that I've been able to combine that with my mindset of uh, prevention, and 
so with Rodale, I've been able to, and particularly Runner's World, I've been able to not only think about that, but give people tools to think about educating themselves and more, more importantly, think about preventing some of the common problems we see. So uh, that has included my last book with you guys, um, uh, Running Strong and Iron Strength Workout. Um, and then this newest book called um, The Workout Prescription, which is really a deep dive into the science of high-intensity interval training or HIT training, which iron strength is a lot about, and uh, explains why people should be doing it, how they should be doing it, and how they can set up HIT programs for themselves wherever they are. So it's just been such a great platform and way to think about uh, growing th- this part of what I do, which is outside of the office, but I think uh, important in a different way. Most doctors treat a symptom. You come in to see them, something hurts, we treat that. Your approach is very different from that. Can you talk about your your medical background and how you came to where you're at as a sports medicine doctor? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, uh, one of my friends has a six-year-old daughter, and uh, she said to her daughter, um, I'm going to see Dr. Metzel. And the daughter, six-year-old, looked up at her and said, Mom, Mommy, Dr. Metzl's a doctor? I thought he just did push-ups, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. Uh, made me think I'm probably getting a little too far into the push-up side of things. But uh, uh, no, I mean, I think that what I've tried to do is that, uh, you know, Hippocrates, and from Hippocrates on down, we focus a lot in medicine on fixing problems after they've happened. And so uh, when you see somebody and you see a doctor, they think, what's the problem? The arthritis in the knee, the problem in the shoulder, the stress fracture in the leg, uh, the diabetes, the heart disease, uh, the stroke. What's the problem and how do we fix the problem we have? And that's great. And I do that every day in here all day long. But the other piece of that, how do we prevent the problem from happening in the first place? We give lip service to, we do nothing about it uh, or very little about it. For example, We started at Cornell, uh, this is our second year, Cornell Medical School next door, a seminar called Prescribing the Medicine of Exercise, which is a seminar to teach medical students, second year med students, how to think about the exercise prescription. Because almost every doctor in America will say, you should exercise a half hour a day. But what does that mean? If you're, you know, somebody that runs, or let's say you're 82 years old and you have arthritis, or you're 46 and you've had a heart attack, or you're a 12 year old kid that wants to play soccer, uh, you know, the prescription is very different. And so thinking about you know, prevention and using exercise as preventive health and then teaching people how to prescribe that differently is is very interesting to me. And uh, I think a lot about this kind of realm of preventive health and preventive wellness. Uh, for example, in this book, we talk about the 13 different types of cancer that are proven to be prevented with uh, four to five times a week exercise and what the role is of exercise and intensity with that, I think, is very important. So it's a long-winded way of saying that I want people to think about how they can become their own best health advocates and how doctors can think about using exercise, and I want them to think about that differently. Now, I'm going to ask you about a lot of doctors will prescribe you something and say, here's what you need to do. And you know, a lot of us athletes say, well, they tell me to not run because they're not runners. Um, you, however, are an athlete. How did you get into running or what sports came first? Yeah, I mean, so I... Uh, as the family lore goes, I'm, I'm uh, in a family of four boys. I'm uh, number two kid uh, with three brothers. And uh, from the day I was born, I've been active and have loved to move. And uh, both my parents are medical. My dad is a pediatrician. My mom is a uh, psychologist. Of my uh, three brothers, uh, three of the four of us uh, have medical degrees. 
Um, and that's kind of the family business uh, is is kind of health and wellness and taking care of people. Um, but for me particularly, uh, I've always been just extremely active. Um, I played sports in high school, in college, um, in in medical school. I was always doing something. Uh, I did my first triathlon on a mountain bike in med school and loved it. Um, and uh, and I got to residency, which was uh, you know really challenging. You're doing these kind of 36 hour shifts, and and the one thing that got me through was uh, you know bringing my jump rope to the on call room and jumping rope uh, and doing stairs and trying to keep myself active. Um, I recognized early on how important that was, um, and and I've always had fitness as part of what I have done. And then as I kind of went through residency and I did, I was in Boston. I did my first marathon. Uh, in fact. <laughs> true story. Uh, hashtag true story. Uh, they had a deal when I was an internship. An internship is like uh, it just basically sucks. It's just like you're there like so many hours all the time. And I know you're like, all right, well, you did med school and this is like you're finally like a real grown up doctor. But the truth is that like, you're just exhausted and it's hard. And and so they had a deal where if your internship year, if you do the Boston Marathon on the Monday, Patriots Day in Boston, you get the day off work. And I was like, all right, go run or, you know, be locked in the hospital. That was kind of a no-brainer. So that was actually my first marathon was <laughs> totally because I wanted to do that. And I loved it so much. And that started a string of multiple Bostons. I think I did 11 or 12 in a row. Um, and that was all great. Uh, but the interesting thing was community and starting community fitness grew out of uh, a whole different thing, which was kind of growing this uh, thought of preventive wellness and recognizing that I was developing the platform to not only talk about prevention, but to prescribe prevention in a mass level. And that's that's where this kind of community-based piece came in. Right. And so you take what you're doing with uh, your prescriptions for workouts and getting people out there and healthy. And that's part of it. When I first came and saw you, I think our our consultation was like 30 seconds. You said you were the weakest person I've ever seen because I couldn't do a one-legged squat. And you said, I can either send you to physical therapy or you can come to my class on Sunday. And I'm like, all right, whatever. But you're up there in front of everybody, walking the walk, doing the workout, leading us through it. And an hour later, I, I didn't know my own name. I was, you know, it was such a workout. Um, where did the iron strength workout come from? How did you how did you develop that? Do you have a background in any kind of personal training? Uh, I mean, because it just kind of seems like torture the very first time you do it. <laughs> that makes me so happy to hear. Um, so it's interesting. The way that kind of grew was, um, you know, I did my medical school and I did my residency and then I did my fellowships in sports medicine and I came to start practicing. And when somebody would come in to see me with a problem where I knew that part of the problem was they needed to activate the muscles around their hip or their back or their knee, um, and my kind of, I guess, knee-jerk <laughs> response was to send them to physical therapy to work on doing those things. And I still use physical therapy all the time in my office and for many of my patients. Um, about that time, um, I started recognizing my knee was getting sore. And the backstory to that is when I was in med school, I was a uh, second-year med student, and I had played college soccer and was playing on the club team and was out, it was a beautiful spring afternoon, and there was a ball um, to my right, and I went to get it, and one second I was standing, and one the next second I was down on the ground screaming, I tore my ACL, and I just knew right, right the second it happened what it was, and it was just such a miserable feeling of being down there on the ground, and you know, that really, that experience got me very interested in sports medicine, and I eventually had surgery for my knee, 
Fast forward from that, 10 to 15 years down the road, about uh, 75% of the people who tear their ACL get arthritis in their knee, whether they have surgery or not. Um, it's the injury that's the problem. And my knee started to ache. And I was like, well, dang it. I love doing exercise. I love running marathons. I love doing triathlons. And my knee hurts. And I better figure out what I can do. And so I started researching what are the things we have for early or mild to moderate arthritis in the knee. And the answer was, well, like do less activity. And I'm like, well, that that's not great. I don't want that. Um, or B, you can work on muscle strengthening. So I went and I did a couple physical therapy sessions and that was helpful. But then I also was kind of researching other options and I was, you know, trying to go to the gym and do like leg extensions on a machine and stuff like that. And it made my knee more sore. And then I wandered into a, by luck, a functional fitness class at a local gym um, taught by this awesome guy who I've credited uh, named Dewana Richardson. I've credited him in every one of my books. And I walked into his class and he was doing like squats and lunges and stuff where I didn't know anything about these things. And as a sports medicine doctor, we were never trained in any of this stuff. And like you, I recognized that my butt was really sore the next day and that my knee started feeling better. And it was almost immediate, one day, two days, three days. And I went back the next week, the same experience. And I thought, wow, there's really something to this. My knee feels a lot better than it did before. And so then I started writing this on, I literally would take a prescription pad and start writing a prescription of how to do squats or lunges and give me five sets of 15. I'd have people demo them in my office to make sure and they would go home and do plyometric jump squats and and they would leave my office with a prescription of doing that. And those patients started to get better. And I was like, wow, this stuff not only works for me, but it works for them. And then I had the idea of uh, starting a little mini group class. I had like 15 people in the basement of a gym for our first class. And one of my patients was the general manager of one of the health clubs here. And I said, hey, do you mind if we borrow your club like on a Sunday afternoon at four o'clock? And they said, yeah, no, come on in. So we started that. And, and so people started coming to this thing. And I started a listserv with like literally 100 people. Our iron strength for our free community listserv is now 32,000 people. Um, and it just started this kind of growth of these exercises. And then I had a couple of people, mostly you, um, Jeff Dengate from Runner's World, who started kind of talking to the people at Runner's World and say, hey, listen, this is something we should kind of think about. Um, and so we put together the first version of Iron Strength, which was filmed in Rodale headquarters, like in a one room thing on a Friday evening. Um, when we look back at those videos, it's pretty funny. Uh, and, uh, you know, seeing how that has grown um, into this kind of big class where we do, you know, workouts now three to four times a month. We have, you know, upwards of a thousand people at some of these. We do them on the flight deck of the Intrepid and in Central Park and all different venues. Um, and it's cool. There's a number of reasons why I think it's really cool. But I think from the, the strength piece, it's just very helpful for all aged people. And so that's really cool. And then the community piece, I think, is really powerful as well. So when runners like me come into your office, what are like the the three most common injuries you see? And is that something that's typically able to be fixed by iron strength? Um, when it comes to the common injuries I see, it really depends on the time of year, marathon season um, being the busiest for some of the long distance type injuries. And so, you know, running injuries typically happen from the waist down, though not always. Um, and those include some of the most common things I would say, probably plantar fasciitis, which is that irritation in the heel that happens first thing in the morning, which become a real problem. Uh, shin splints or an achiness in the shin that can happen after running and runner's knee or an achiness in the front of the knee. Those are probably the three most common, but certainly see all types of those problems. And, and you know, strength training is a piece of fixing all these things, but not certainly everything because, you know, the way I think about an injury is first of all, you know, what is it? 
And then B, you know, what's the anatomical thing? Do you have a partially torn plantar fascia? Is there a stress fracture in your leg? Is there cartilage injury in your knee? What do we have to do to fix that? And then think about prevention. What do we have to do for correcting your foot mechanics? What kind of shoes you're wearing? Do you need orthotics? Um, do we need to think about your, uh, you know, the those types of things? Do we need to think about your training program? Are you running too many miles every single day? Are you not strength training? How's your flexibility? Um, what about your stride mechanic? Um, so there's a whole host of factors to think about that go beyond just fixing the body part because if you don't fix the reason, people come back in here year after year. Now, in your particular case, you are just a weak mm, bleep guy. And so, uh, and, and so making you not a weak bleep guy fix the problem, but not everybody's that way. And so um, figuring out why people have those types of problems makes a big difference in thinking about preventing them. We runners, we even myself, we don't like to do strength work. I've seen you. I did the work. My pain went away. I stopped doing iron strength. My pain came back, but I didn't have to come see you again because I knew what it was, what you were going to tell me. So I started doing iron strength and the pain went away. And it's this vicious cycle that keeps happening. I now know the couple things that I need to do personally for my own uh, benefit to stay healthy and stay running. But um, are there like maybe three moves from iron strength that you would recommend? Runners just incorporate, suck it up, work it in and do it, you know, once a week, twice a week, three times a week, whatever. But maybe three moves that we could do. Sure. I mean, uh, you're not alone. Uh, obviously, people, you know, do these types of things and I want to get them to do them more and figure out ways to do them more. You know, it's tough to do it all by yourself. Maybe having a community or online or certainly our DVDs and stuff have been helpful to motivate people. But most runners just like to run, um, which is great. But this full body strength, the idea of iron strength is this total body kinetic chain strength. So it's not just like one muscle. Um, I find that to be the biggest difference sometimes between that and a busy PT place where they'll physical therapy where they'll just work on you know the quads or the hamstrings or do some stuff and not pay you know I think it's great for injuries when when I have an injury I send my patients to physical therapy all the time but for prevention I think I want people to take that into their own hands um, and so the whole concept of iron strength is total body strength tip to toe strength and so of those the uh, the plyometric jump squats the squats at the beginning. Um, I tell people that I want them to suffer from the dreaded medical complication of WBS or weak butt syndrome, which many runners have. And that, uh, you know, uh, if you don't, uh, if you can't crack like a pecan or like a walnut in your butt, well, maybe not that. But anyway, the bottom line is you've got to make those glute, the, those muscles are the engine. They stabilize your pelvis. And so plyometric jump squats where you squat all the way down with your feet turned out, feet a little wider than shoulder width, and you kind of jump up into the air a little bit off the ground and back down. Um, those things are very, very helpful, and, and I'm betting you're doing some of those, and that's great. Um, number two is the exercise developed in the late 1930s at Columbia, um, named after the guy who uh, developed it, Lord Burpee. And um, Lord Burpee's exercise bears his name to this day and is the most effective exercise um, uh, you can do. It's very time efficient. It's a, it's a great example of a HIIT workout, HIIT maneuver. Um, there's different variations in our new iron strength workout. We did different things, which are called man makers, but... I called them person makers because it seemed a little sexist. But uh, I think the idea of, uh, of doing that kind of burpee where you're jumping up in the air, down, kicking out, doing a push-up, and then using weights for those I think is very, very helpful. And then the final is a plank. Um, so plank is a great exercise. It's an isometric exercise, meaning your muscle's not getting longer or shorter. It's holding in one place. And that will strengthen the muscles in the front and the back part of your spine, the core muscles, and that's very helpful. So those are probably the three, if you only have time for three, that I'd probably do. It seems like one of the great things about 
Iron Strength is that we don't need a gym membership to do this. There's no machine involvement. Um, how does it separate itself from what a workout you might want to do in the gym um, and not need machines for that? Yeah, so with Iron Strength and with uh, all the things that I do, including uh, you know my new book, it's all about functional strength training people can do at home. I go to the gym. I'm going to the gym after this uh, interview tonight. Um, I use the gym sometimes, but I think most of the important strength training you can do is all about using functional body weight training. And the reason that's so important is that it really balances out all the muscles you do. You know, so in the gym, you can do bicep curls to strengthen your bicep muscle, which, you know, may impress the the people at the beach, but functionally, it's probably not going to do so much. But if you're doing something like a plank, you're using all your muscles, a burpee, all your muscles at once. And by strengthening all of those muscles, that's what you need when you run. And so it really makes a lot more sense. I think it's way more effective. Um, and it's way more effective for everyday life and also for longevity, especially when I see people in here, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s and want to keep running. You know, that total body strength is the key to staying on the road. And if you're not actively building it, you're losing it. And so that's why I think that's so important. And, and the functional piece of that you do without a machine. So how do people stay motivated to keep doing these workouts? So it's interesting. So as both as a, a runner and as a fitness instructor, and then as somebody who has kind of built this platform for community-based fitness programs, uh, one thing we've actually studied is why do people come? We've been doing this now for about five years, almost five years, and we have people that have been coming for five years. Why do they keep doing that when there's so many other things they could be doing um, or maybe just sitting home when it's like 20 degrees on a Saturday um, in the snow? Why would they come do this? And so we kind of asked and surveyed our people of why do people do that? And you know, certainly getting stronger was near the top. Uh, better performance was near the top. Fun was near the top. It's so fun to do this stuff. Uh, and community was near the top. And so what I really challenge people to think about is that everybody knows, unless you've been living under a rock, that you should be doing some kind of strength training. And it's tough to do that you know, if you're just sitting home by yourself. But think about what it can take to motivate you. Join a group or make, you know, make a club yourself or start your own community. Um, or join an existing community, or do something that's part of a group that can help you uh, keep going, uh, it really helps the motivation piece. And I think that's sometimes the biggest challenge is going from I know I should be doing this to this is how I'm going to be doing this. And and I think that's a very important thing to think about. There is a saying I've heard you utter a few times about the key to a happy life. Can you share that with us? Yeah. So what I say often to my patients uh, is that a strong butt is the key to a happy life. In fact, I had one of my teenage patients dad she's a runner and the dad has been reading the running strong book and he came in and he said dr metzel you know as you say a strong butt is the key to happy life i'm like dude you are really quoting the gospel here thank you very much um but it really is true i see so many problems in here and the reason that's important for runners is that uh you can think of your hip bones the anterior superior iliac spine are like the headlights those are the two bony parts at the front of your hip and if those headlights are rocking back and forth you're going to get hamstring pain, you're going to get shin pain. Um, You know, the time to wiggle is when you're salsa dancing. The time to be stable from the hip down is when you're running. And so glute strength particularly, and those plyometric jump squats stabilize those muscles so you're not rocking side to side, and that could prevent a lot of problems. That was Jeff Dengate speaking with author and iron strength creator, Dr. Jordan Metzl. By the way, there's now a new Iron Strength DVD available. You can get your copy at ironstrengthdvd.com. Coming up, Jeff and a bunch of very hardy folks get their Iron Strength fix in Central Park. 
Back in December, just as things were really starting to get cold around here, producer Brian Dalek went to Central Park to capture the energy and the appeal of an iron strength workout. Since he lives just on the other side of the Holland Tunnel in New Jersey, Jeff Dengate decided he'd bundle up too for an outdoor workout he knew would have him sweating in no time. Winter is usually when runners think a bit more about strength training, which might explain why a giant crowd gathered in December in the middle of Central Park on a 20-degree day. They were all there to get their butts handed to them by Dr. Jordan Metzl, creator of the Iron Strength Workout. All right, welcome everybody to our Make Central Park Your Gym for the month of December. We are so proud you're here. This is our coldest ever class. But it did not deter you guys. We're going to start with a dynamic warm-up. And this is called Hit for the Holidays. You guys ready to rock it? All right, let's do it. I wanted to know why so many people subjected themselves to this super rigorous workout. People like our shoes and gear editor, Jeff Dengate. Oh, it's a cool day in Central Park, and all the tourists are out, right in the middle at the band shell, where there's a lot of activity going on, people passing through. And then there are 100 or 150 crazy people out here working out in spandex tights and jackets and a bunch of tourists looking on. Jeff is one of the crazies here for a dose of Metzl's iron strength. The program is a total body workout based on high-intensity interval training or HIT training. Basically, it's a series of intense moves completed during a set period of time, separated by short periods of rest. It ramps up your heart rate and hits all your major muscle groups. Short, vigorous workouts like this can burn up to 30% more calories than more steady-state cardio sessions. Dr. Metzl first started offering these workouts for free in Central Park. He wanted to gather his patients in one place to lead them in a group workout. But words started to spread, and the group naturally grew. Just not everyone was excited about it at first. These Central Park workouts, it's a kind of a, it's kind of a funny story. I started as an outlaw. I was like the workout outlaw, and I was getting in big trouble. They had my picture up like on a most wanted sign for wanted Dr. Jordan Metzl leading uh, workouts in Central Park, wanted dead or alive. According to Dr. Metzl, despite Central Park being more than 800 acres, you still can't just claim a spot every month and lead a raucous group of 100-plus people. But eventually, the Central Park Conservancy saw the value in a free community fitness class. So with Central Park's backing, soon hundreds of people were attending sessions like the one I was watching, and Jeff was doing. Well, Jeff was sort of doing it. I caught him taking a breather in the middle of some partner push-ups, where his partner would clap hands with him at the top of each push-up. No breaks, Jeff. I do 50% of the work. Oh. These workouts are no joke. After warming up with moves like jumping jacks, lunges, and squats, Dr. Metzl transitioned the group into moves like jump squats, single-leg push-ups, and partner sit-ups. Oh, and enough burpees with fun variations to them to make your arms, legs, and lungs scream. When Dr. Metzl brings out his burpee whistle, it gets a groan from the crowd only because they know it's about to kick their butt in a good way. The moves are often paired or in sets of three, and you do each exercise for 60 seconds. 
Between sets, you rest for 60 seconds. Last one, two. You guys ready? Despite its hardcore rep, however, you don't have to be an athletic stud to do iron strength. You simply do as many reps as you can handle, and there are plenty of modifications to the moves so you can work within your comfort zone. As you build strength, you can add reps and lose the modifications. The point of this total body program is to shore up your weak spots. A lot of athletes tend to stick to their sport. They do one thing, like run, all the time, which can cause muscle imbalances that can lead to injury. You know, he has people from all different backgrounds. I mean, there are older people, younger people, really fit elite athletes that join him and do these workouts. They're free. They're a big group workout, and group workouts are having amazing success right now, studio classes and things. But you get the regulars. They just come. This is part of their routine. They know this is their strength workout they're going to get, and they can do this once every two weeks and be pretty well off, a whole lot better off than you would if you don't do any of this ever. Regulars like the woman who was nailing each move so well, Dr. Metzl even brought her up on stage with him. I caught up with her after the workout. Dale St. Clair from San Francisco, live in New York. I'm 57, and I started running four, five years ago. Dale quickly fell in love with running, but pretty soon her body started to ache. So she went to Dr. Metzl for advice, and he got her started on his iron strength program. Well, I've, I've actually never run in my entire life until I was 52, so I didn't run a block before. Um, I, that said, I've never been particularly strong, so I have gotten injured by doing other things, like obstacle races, for instance, and iron strength has definitely um, gotten strengthened my body. I do believe that running with all the movement on the road running in particular um, is no matter how old you are is stress on anybody and strength is important. In addition to reducing her pain after running, strengthening her core and upper body helped improve her form, which in turn helped make Dale a faster runner. And I've seen um, my pace improved over the last five years. I will say that wasn't necessarily my goal. Um, that said, it's been a fantastic um, experience, and now I'm, after year three of running, I started qualifying for New York and Boston, which was exciting for me, and I'm hoping to run as long as I can walk. Nicole Milano was at the workout with her sister and parents. After she started Iron Strength, she ran a 15-minute PR in her last half marathon. I used to just run and that was it. I don't like time myself, but I feel like all like my legs will feel better. I'm not like oh, like struggling through the run or anything and I don't know, I feel like I'm faster. <laughs> like As for our gear editor Jeff, he uses iron strength as Dr. Metzel wants him to use it. Like medicine. Medicine that packs a wallop. I took every other rep off, I think. Uh, I, I I believe in iron strength. I really think it helps. And anytime my body starts hurting, I jump back in, do some iron strength work on my own, and all my pains and aches go away. It's amazing how it works. So I just did an abbreviated version of it, the 15, 20 minutes with Metzl, and I'm calling it quits. Uh, I know I'm going to be hurting tomorrow, and Monday in particular. Yeah, 48 hours later, that delayed onset muscle soreness is just going to be killing me this week. But when it comes to staying healthy, we runners sometimes need that dose of tough love. As I always say, you're going to hate it, and then you're going to love it. But there is a hated period. Where do you see people cringe the most when you're like, we're going to do this workout, 
um, is it the burpees or uh, where do people just start to hate you when you're up on stage? Usually when I'm doing the full iron strength is at the end, the burpee set, people are like, I hate your guts and don't show your face again. Uh, that's what happens. For more information on Dr. Metzl's free community fitness program in New York City, go to runnersworld.com slash audio. Coming up in the kick, seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. It's time for the kick with reporter Kit Fox and food and nutrition editor Heather Mayer Irvin. So I don't know about you, Kit, but I'm marathon fatigued, and I'm kind of glad I'm not training for one right now. However, uh, 32 men and women ran the 2017 World Marathon Challenge, and uh, 42-year-old Michael Wardian dominated. You helped cover this. So tell us, what's the World Marathon Challenge? Yeah, so this is a crazy way that some people decide to start out the new year. Uh, The World Marathon Challenge is seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. So they travel between continents. Basically, they don't get to sleep in a bed. They sleep on planes and boats and planes and boats. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it starts in Antarctica. And actually, this year, it was just below zero. So freezing, um, you know, moves on all the way to it ends in Australia, hitting, of course, the seven continents. But yeah, this year, um, Michael Wardian, you know, someone that we talk about a lot, an just outstanding ultra runner holds world records and like the treadmill 50k and a bunch more. Um, he destroyed this race. So what's destroyed? How did he do? Well, he uh, he averaged for all seven marathons two hours and 45 minutes, wow. which breaks the previous average by about 45 minutes um, total, which is crazy. So his fastest marathon was actually in Miami, and that was uh, two hours and 37 minutes. And his slowest, um, which makes a lot of sense, was in Antarctica. Still sub three hours in that, though. (laughs) That's insane. And he wasn't alone, though. I mean, we we heard that Ryan Hall participated. How did he do? Yeah, so this is is great. Um, Ryan Hall, many of you may already know this, but he... uh, he has the fastest marathon time of an American. It's actually not the American record because it was at the Boston course, but it's uh, two hours, four minutes, and 58 seconds. Um, he retired about a year ago because of, like, low testosterone and, and other things. He's been lifting, and he's gotten just, like, huge. Anyway, <laughs> he decided that he didn't really have, like, a good farewell race when he retired. So he wanted to make this his, like, epic farewell from running. It's one way to go out. Um, of course, like, he told us that he hadn't been training you know, adequately, like he'd been lifting weights in the gym. He looks like not a the same, totally different person. Um, but he did did the race, and he um, he averaged you know about three and a half hours or so, um, which is respectable. Yeah, very respectable. I mean, you know, his personal best is two hours four minutes and fifty eight seconds. So still, but one of my favorite things that happened, um, his fastest race came. It was the uh, the fifth marathon. It was in Morocco at three hours, four minutes and 56 seconds. And he, he would, you know, post it on Instagram that this was the biggest surprise of his career, which I love <laughs> just cause like, you know, he's a two time Olympian, uh, one of the U S best runners, but his, you know, biggest surprise came at a just over three hour marathon in Morocco. That's amazing. Um, go Ryan, you know, congratulations. Little, yeah, Keep it up. Good little farewell tour, uh, for Mr. Hall. 
And so, how about the women? Yeah. Okay. So on the women's side, we had Chilean Silvana Camelio. Um, so she won. She averaged four hours, 12 minutes, wow. and 37 seconds. And like no rest at all. They're on a plane. Like I can't imagine how I can't stiff do that. I would be on like an economy seat plane ride. I think I would have to like foam roll in the aisle and then the flight attendants would get mad at me. So travel, races, aid, how much does this cost? Um, it costs as much as a decent car. Um, decent car? Very nice car, I should say. Uh, $38,000. Um, it's like a year in some schools. Yeah, I know. So if you uh, find that amount of change you know, in my couch, let me know because I want to go on this this run. I'll help document that, kid. Yeah, I know. I'll, I'll do it. We just maybe like a GoFundMe. Uh, yeah, send kit to seven continents. Let's start it. Okay, switching gears here from you know bunch of marathons, bunch of traveling, um, moving indoors. We have one of the most stacked relay teams that I've at least heard of in a while. Heather, tell us about it. So this past weekend at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix in Boston. Uh, we saw a world record fall. Um, some of our favorite ladies, Jenny Simpson, who's the 1,500-meter medalist from the Olympics this year, Emma Coburn, medalist in the steeplechase, Brenda Martinez in the 1,500, and Cindy McLaughlin, who's the teenage prodigy on the hurdles, they teamed up for the distance medley relay. And they broke the world record by two seconds in a total of 10 minutes and 4.3 seconds. Okay, so for listeners that don't know, what is the distance medley relay? So the DMR is uh, 1,200 meters, the first leg, 400 in the second, 800 meters the third, and 1,600 meters as the anchor. And Coburn ran the 1,200, McLaughlin ran the 400, Martinez ran the 800, and Simpson anchored with the 1,600. Okay, so just Olympians on Olympians on Olympians doing what they do best. And they won by more than nine seconds (laughs) and then set the world record. And something we love that Jenny Simpson said in the Denver Post, she said, quote, being on the mountaintop is so much better when you're there with friends, setting a world record with these ladies. This will be a night I'll remember the rest of my career, which is just really heartwarming. I mean, they crushed it and they're part of my fantasy girl squad. Well, yeah, I was going to say, so fantasy relay squad, like this is the team you want. But I was wondering, so if we're going to mess around with distances in a relay, I'd happily volunteer for the two-meter leg or like the uh, <laughs> the, the sofa leg. The um, sofa leg. I think I'd be great at that. I think you'd be great yeah, at that. Yeah, so hand me the baton, like a 30-minute nap, and then I hand the baton off. Love we it. We would do really well. Love it. So while I'm training for the sofa leg of the DMR in the next Olympics, uh, I want to talk about kind of something completely different, which is um, athletes that have been able to run their whole life. We just published a story about um, runners who've reached the 100,000-mile mark huh. in their life, which is insane, uh, done by Ambie Burfoot, legend, former editor-in-chief of Runner's World. And he kind of got some tips and secrets from these septuagenarians and octogenarians who put in this insane mileage. Uh, Heather, tell us what we learned from this article. Yeah, well, you know, one thing that Andy, who won the Boston Marathon in 1968, said that in order to run 100,000 lifetime miles is to look at it, you know, break it down, 2,500 miles per year for 40 years. And that's an average of almost 50 miles a week for four decades. I, When I was training for Boston last year, I hit 52 miles in a week once, and I don't <laughs> plan on doing that again. So that's hugely impressive. Yeah. It's the numbers are just insane. And I think one of the people that was mentioned in the article got up to like two hundred and thirty five thousand miles, Outrageous. which my favorite fact about that is that they ran to the moon <laughs> in their <laughs> That's lifetime. That's crazy. 
what are the takeaways here? So some of the tips that these these folks share with us are, you know, not to take it too seriously. You know, one guy said he didn't he never made it a goal to run 100,000 miles. It just started to happen. And I think that's important. I, I, I always say I'll keep running until I stop enjoying it. And so to race less or dial back training, if it means going out for a quick run and liking it, I think that's important. Uh, leaving your running gear handy is a really good one. You know, some people, I, I'm a morning runner, but sometimes, you know, you lay out your stuff right before you go. There's no excuse as to why you can't wake up, roll out of bed, get it on. You know, we leave running clothes here at work so we can step out at lunch. So having that handy um, makes it hard to make an excuse. And then something else, you know, and we do this with our run, Runner's World run streak in the winter, just do a mile. You know, if you're not feeling well or it's just today's not the day, just get a mile in. And, and one of the, the guys said, you might keep going, but aim for that mile and um, you, you know you don't know what will happen. So I thought those are really good to follow. I think one that they missed out on, it's the only way I'm ever going to get up to this number, <laughs> is um, to cryogenically freeze my head <laughs> and then, you know, reanimate me after I die into the body of a robot because there is no way I'm getting to 100,000 miles. Kit, but... you're a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. But that's the only way that's going to happen for me. But um to see these tips, go to our episode page at runnersworld.com slash audio. Um, also, to get to 100,000 miles, probably a lot of us need to like go back in time about 15 years and start running. But On it. Yeah. So speaking of lifetime running, Dr. Ron Hill, who's 78, just ended his five decades long running streak, which is the <laughs> longest in the world. Um, he was having heart problems, so we wish him the best of health. But he ran his last mile this past Saturday on the 28th. And 52 years, 52 right? years was of the streak. Of a mile a day. More than 19,000 days. And uh, we wish him the best of health and hope he can return to running. Congratulations. Yeah, crazy stat there. And I'm sure, as a lot of these lifetime runners have done, you know, they've kept their training logs um, meticulous. Uh, one of my favorite details in the story with Ambie is that the day he won the Boston Marathon in 1968, his training journal said... 25.6 miles, including the Boston Marathon win. With no fanfare. No. It's just, just fact. Completely, completely, completely normal, as if that happens to all of us. But um, the reason I bring this up is because there's this new, new trend um, going on um, both within running, but kind of within life, too. They're called bullet journals. So I had never heard of these before. What are they? Um, that is a great question because I don't personally use one, but they're cool. So they're just basically um, journals where uh, people draw out their planner for the day kind of. So it's like a, a journal with blank pages and then, you know, the artsy folks of the world will make them look really cool. And runners are using them um, as a training log, but it looks cooler. Um the best way to describe it is actually to just see it. And we've got a slideshow of some of the best, like, runner-kept bullet journals on our website. It'll be on our episode page at runnersworld.com slash audio. Um, well, my gut is that this seems like time away from running to take time to do the sketches and writing. You know, but it also is therapeutic, I guess, for some people. For those of us that can't draw like me, my bullet journal would be scribbles. So, I saw one of your scribbles, kid. Yeah, yeah, I have really good scribbles. So I just keep a normal training log. But if you're artsy, color in your mileage and, and you know, draw trees was one of the ones that I saw. Um Hard to describe, but check them out on our website. Maybe get some inspiration. But keep a training log. Everyone should keep a training log. Cool. Thanks, Kit. Thank you, Heather. 
Okay, one last thing before we close the show. Send us your running shoe questions, please. In a future episode, we're going to be sitting down with editor Jeff Dengate to answer all your pressing shoe queries. Like, maybe you've got bunion issues and wonder what to be on the lookout for. Or maybe you've got a funny or revealing shoe story of your own you'd like to share. You can share with all of us in an email at rwaudio at rodale, that's R-O-D-A-L-E, dot com. Or you can reach us on our Facebook page, Runner's World Audio, or tweet us at rwaudio. Okay, that's it. Thanks again to all of you who have sent us comments and ratings on the show. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief of Runner's World. This week's show was produced by Sylvia Ryerson, Christine Fennessy, and Brian Dalek. Be sure to join us next week for my interview with obstacle racer extraordinaire turned ultra runner extraordinaire, Amelia Boone, who, as it happens, is also a corporate lawyer for Apple who regularly puts in 80-hour weeks. And so if I'm training really hard in the mornings um, and then if I you know, have a second session in the evenings, those hours during the day where I think a lot of people um, would be sleeping or resting or recovering between those sessions, I'm you know, at a desk full bore working full time. Amelia is an amazing athlete. And this is a great conversation. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.